Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 90. We're getting close, breaking, honing in on 100. So the crew is here with you, Chaz, as always, accompanied by Richard. Richard, how are you? Hey, Chaz, what's going on? I'm doing okay. The worst is behind us. The hurricane missed me completely. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Seth, what's up? What's up, guys? Not much. Yeah, not much. <laughs> uh, so on the docket for today, we're, we're coming in on uh, Pro Tour Kaladesh. Um, as of this recording, it will be out early in the week. So later on in the week, over the weekend, uh, it will be happening. So super excited to see what uh, Kaladesh has brought. Excited to see what people come up with. Uh, I'm optimistic for now. So, and then we're we're <laughs> we have a special segment about uh, masterpieces that Richard uh, requested here. That we're going to talk about the Kaladesh masterpieces, uh, and then we're going to wrap it up with some fish mail. Let's just jump right in. I mean, we talked about last week what we've seen early indicators uh, for Kaladesh standard. Uh, Seth, you wrote a great piece about um, you know tempering expectations going forward into Pro Tour that it drastically changes the landscape, and I agree. Uh, we all kind of agreed on that. So, uh, where do you think we're headed? Uh, and I'll pose this question to both of you. So, Richard, so the Magic Online results have started trickling in, and it pretty much looks the same like the standard. Uh, these SCG Open, we have a a lot of aggro decks, Smuggler's Copter everywhere. Uh, red black aggro the most popular deck right now followed by uh, white red vehicles and we have a sprinkling of control in there so it looks pretty standard nothing too crazy and uh, all the pros are hiding their tech for the pro tour so that's when we'll really find out what the metagame is i've been playing around and it seems quite diverse uh, a lot of people on magic online love the uh, etherworks marvel uh, decks, so you, you you get like one game <laughs> where you're getting like run over by little creatures. The next game, like gigantic titans are coming down, and it just goes back and forth. And I've been trying blue white control, and it's really tough. Uh, all the cards we thought were good turn out not to be so good uh, because there's just a diversity of threats between you know you have your fast go wide decks, you have your vehicles which can't be hit by sorcery speed. Uh, you have creature lands, you have flash creatures, you have planeswalkers, and then you have like random combo decks with Etherworks Marvel. So it's actually really hard to build a control deck in this meta. So hopefully after Pro Tour, things are a lot more solidified and you know we'll, we'll get a good idea what the meta is. And then we can bring back Donovan Bane and control and, and see where we go with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, before I pose it to you, Seth, just one sort of... One more question to you, Richard. Does it does it feel fun at least? Like the initial, like you, you mentioned, it is diverse. I kind of second that sentiment. It does look diverse already. Like there's there's definitely some fun things going on, some interesting deck lists, a good amount of variety. Is that something that you have noticed? Like, are you having fun with it, or does it always kind of does it already feel kind of like oh, collected company, like we've seen in past standards? It feels very fun. Uh... All the decks are, are very different. You, you know, the Colossus decks are a different kind of combo deck than the Etherworks Marvel decks. And the aggro decks all look very different and play differently. And then you have Delirium, which looks different. So it's not everyone jamming Collected Company. Even though the Copter is in all of these decks, the decks feel and play differently. And even though Control sucks, it's really fun playing all these cards, drawing <laughs> cards, gaining life. 
you know, not making any progress because your deck's not that good. But <laughs> eventually timing out and losing, you know, it still felt fun. So, right. you know, hopefully when it's good, it'll be more fun. But so far, it's actually been a, a pretty fun standard. Yeah. Same, same questions to you, Seth. Uh, well, I don't think that Smuggler's Copper is going anywhere. I think right. <laughs> it seems like that card is pretty broken. I think, especially for a colorless card, I think that's arguably too good for a colorless card. Just because uh, you can put it in every deck and every deck essentially is doing it. Probably your control deck isn't doing it, Richard, because you only have like Torrential Gear Hulk to crew it. Yep. But every other archetype is playing Smuggler's Copter. So that's a little bit concerning. But the format does feel fun. I played a ton on Magic Online playing Standard over the weekend. And I was actually I working on something else. I made a list of all the different matches, uh, matchups I played in queues and in the leagues. And while there's a lot of similarities, like uh, blue-white control versus blue-black control, uh, red-black aggro versus red-white vehicles, where they're like somewhat similar as far as archetypes go, I think out of like 25 matches, I played like 20 different decks, like with different colors, and they played differently. So right now, the format still feels pretty wide open, apart from the fact that you just play Smuggler's Copter and like 75% of the decks like that's the constant otherwise things are pretty wide open and that's encouraging going into the pro tour even though copters everywhere the decks are different enough that I don't have that feeling of dread I had when we knew bank company was the best deck and it was like 45% of the SCG meta I wasn't I, did, I don't have that feeling about this upcoming pro tour where it's just going to be all red white vehicles I think we'll see a lot of copters but it's going to be scattered around through emerge strategies and through graveyard based strategies and aggro strategies and hopefully even control strategies so even though copters everywhere I'm still pretty encouraged about the format at this point yeah that's kind of where I landed too and I've been going back and forth because we've I mean, we've been through a lot of Pro Tours at this point. Uh, the cast has been going on for quite some time now. And we all we always have, like, a pretty good gauge on, you know, where things are going to the Pro Tour. And we've been through some stagnant stuff. But you're right. I agree with both of you. It feels good, at least right now. There's likely going to be a deck most people will be playing after the Pro Tour. I mean, the landscape's going to drastically change. But I don't think that's really going to... Uh, make it stagnant like I think we're gonna see a lot of stuff at the pro tour and probably thereafter I mean like you said copter's not going anywhere but I think there's gonna be enough variance between archetypes that things are gonna stay pretty fresh uh, at least for a while until aether revolt comes out so I'm remaining optimistic uh, I, I don't think I, I do think rather that uh, the pros will come prepared for copter to battle copter Um or, or just be playing it themselves. So I think we're going to see a lot of different things going on. Uh, what I do expect to see is uh, a lot of the cards, or a, a lot of the strategies uh, prior to this. Sans uh, collected companies, like I still think we're, uh, Emerge is really strong. I think Delirium is going to remain very strong. Um, so I'm expecting to see those as well. And Zombies, I think, is still pretty uh, strong as well. And we've seen those in the... Um, we we don't have many of them, but we've we've seen them in the uh, in the league results uh, so far on the site, right, Richard? Yeah. So one thing that I'm convinced of, and I guess we can get into bold pro tour predictions that aren't so bold, but Chandra right. is just really bad. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the, you know, e even the planeswalkers, the quote unquote good ones, Donovan Bane. 
<laughs> Dovin Bond. <laughs> let's, let's let's use the real name so that new new listeners Donovan are. Again. <laughs> I swear, I tuned into a, a Twitch stream and someone was playing Dovin Bond, and I'm like, what what the hell's that? Because <laughs> I was so used to Seth calling it Dovin Bond, uh, Donovan Bane. But okay, Dovin Bond <laughs> is not as good as he looks on paper because of all of the vehicles sitting around. So if they right. have a Skyship Sovereign or Smuggler's Copter, and then you have a Dovin Bond, you can't even do anything with it. And I think Chandra will have the same problem. Not only is 4 damage lackluster, you can't hit half of the important stuff in the format. And, right. you know, her her plus draws a card, but there are plenty of Planeswalkers that draw cards. So unless you're playing Mono Red, which I doubt you would play, it doesn't seem that good. So I'm convinced that this is the next Narset that looks decent, uh, or maybe Sarkin is the better uh, the better example, where Sarkin, the, the teamer one, looks really good on paper, but there was just never any use for him in the format. And Chandra's starting to look that way. The only thing I can think of is a Jeskai control deck, but I'm not sure if Jeskai is the colors you want to be for control, but Chandra looks... Her, her future looks grim, in my opinion, and overly hyped, and I think the week one results will carry it through. I don't think she'll see much play in the format. Yeah, I guess bold, not so bold, because I agree with you. I mean... It just does not deal, like you said, with a multitude of things. I mean, forget Copter. I mean, you can't even deal with, like, the mid-range stuff once it starts getting into that, you know, stage of the game. It's like, you can't even deal with my Gear Hulk. Like, I, I throw one Copter on my Gear, or counter on my Gear Hulk. You can't deal with it now. And you can't, you still can't deal with the, the rest of the counters going on to my Sylvan Advocate. So, it's like, what does she actually deal with? Right? So, I agree with you. Um, That's kind of why I settled on Nissa early on. I'm like... This card just seems good, like, regardless of what's going on. You get a 5-5 beater. That's probably relevant. Um, and at the very least, like, it can replace itself. I haven't seen much Nyssa, honestly. I haven't, and I, I haven't seen Planeswalkers, like, period. I haven't seen... Well, Gideon is everywhere. <laughs> Gideon's well, in, Gid- like, every deck. In all honesty, I have seen Sahili more than Chandra or Nissan Magic online, as mm-hmm. odd as that sounds. And uh, Dovin Bon is clearly the one I've seen the most. There's a lot of people that are testing out the blue-white control deck. Uh, I don't know if this counts as a prediction, but one of the things I'm most interested to see at the Pro Tour is if the pros can figure out the energy deck. Because I've played yeah. against that deck a ton. People play that on Magic Online, and it is either the best or worst deck in the format depending on the game they either like play these horrible thriving turtle creatures oh, get their man. energy and just like turn for ulamagu and you lose or they do the same thing and they get like a puzzle knot or something off of their <laughs> etherworks marvel and spend all their energy and yeah. they just like literally can't win so i'm curious to see if there's a way that that deck can be more consistent because when it's doing its thing and working right it is very powerful it's just has this inconsistency where sometimes it does nothing and loses to itself so we'll see if the pros can figure that out yeah i'd like to see if they can solve it too but i mean we i said before we've we've talked about like pro tours so much i just i don't know if it's worth it for them to solve right like why add the extra variance unless they like completely solve it like this is like super consistent you know this is working all the time i mean i think it's getting to that point like people are trying to wait they're getting it to a very consistent level it looks good enough at this point that maybe they can just take it that extra you know 10 20 percent but i just have this feeling that like they don't want to solve it like they just want to be you know, jamming like just bank good stuff or, you know, the Grixis Emerge or Delirium, like all these things that are like known quantities that, you know, they just 
they shore up a couple, you know, um, inconsistencies or or weaknesses of the deck and just jam it at the Pro Tour. Like, why add this all this extra variant? Yeah, I mean, that's true, unless they think the deck is just really that good. Then I could right. see it happening. And we do usually see surprises, so I definitely have hopes that there'll be another yeah. Seasons Past or some sort of, like, crazy out-of-nowhere deck that we just really didn't expect to see yeah. at the Pro Tour. I don't even know if Energy counts as that, because it's fairly well-known at this point and has some, like, pseudo-results it's put up. But I think maybe if I had to make a bold prediction, it's that we're going to see Graveyard decks do very well. Oh, yeah. I think they were floating just under the radar on the first week. Like, not many people played them, but they put up decent results. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, the green-black graveyard deck or the Grixis Emerge that was pretty much a prized amalgam deck. Uh, a deck like that be really good and be one of the team decks at the Pro Tour. Because, once again, Wizards printed a set without printing any real graveyard hate. So you get another, like, three months of just having free reign to do this stuff with no real risk or punishment for your scrap heap scroungers your prized amalgams your haunted deads all that stuff yeah i was hinting at that i think we're gonna see a lot of your pet card i think we're gonna see a lot of a lot of elder deep fiend i'm just i'm throwing it out there i would not be surprised i think the secret is panharmonicon so you can tap down eight instead of <laughs> yeah uh... <laughs> for sure <laughs> Actually, that doesn't even work because it's when cast. Oh, uh, rough. That's rough. why you can't counterspell it. That's why counterspells suck. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. And, and to, to go back, I mean, to, to hint on what we were talking about, just like in Planeswalkers in general, I know, yeah, some of them do show up. But, I mean, it's, it's like what you said, Richard. I mean, they're just, like, constantly under siege, like, from all different angles. You were talking about, like, creatures have – we were talking about this before the cast. Like, he, good creatures have, like, flash. You have the vehicles. You have, like, so many different points of attack that's, like, you throw out a planeswalker. It's, like, this is a – there's no way I'm protecting this. Like, it's going to it's going to get destroyed. Like, there's just so many points of attack. It just feels bad to be throwing it down at, like, sorcery speed, and you just know, like – it, it, you just can't save it, almost. Yeah, it feels like it's a, a pure finisher as opposed to a stabilizing card now. Like, yeah. uh, previously you could actually play a Planeswalker, minus it kills something, and then be stable. Now it's actually pretty hard, and usually you gotta clear the entire board before you slap down your Planeswalker. Or, you know, you do the Desperation Planeswalker and hope you can stabilize the next turn. But uh, a lot of cards that seem really powerful are just significantly worse. We were talking about the, the new Mana Leak the uh, counter-target spell, uh, non-artifact spell, unless it's controller pays two. Uh, that seemed like, oh, Mana Leak, awesome. You know, remember Mana Leak, Snapcaster Mana Leak? Yeah, right? But the thing is, what you want to counter on turn two is probably Smuggler's Copter. You probably <laughs> want to counter that Etherworks Marvel coming down, right? So a lot of the things you want to counter can't be countered. So uh, the card that looks good in a vacuum is actually pretty mediocre, and I haven't even seen controllers trying to run it. Most people just say, forget it, we'll play the three, the three uh, mana counters or uh, horribly awry, and uh, we'll do that because it's just not worth the fact that you can't counter these artifacts, and then they can just save up two mana and go through your counter spell anyway. So, oh, right. I, I, I had that in one of my decks, and I played against uh, the blue-black Colossus deck. My opponent was like, <laughs> just played a Colossus, and they had the Sanctum of Ugin, two of them on the battlefield. So he's like, Colossus, Sack Sanctum, get a Colossus, Sack Sanctum, get it, played three Colossus, and I'm sitting there with my mana leak, and it it just can't hit anything that matters, and I like instantly died. Uh, on the other hand, a card that actually hits a lot is Ceremonious Rejection. I've been really impressed by that card. 
I don't know if it's quite to the point where you can main deck it, but it's a lot of things. It hits Emrakul, Elder Deep Fiend, Smuggler's Copter, all the vehicles, Aetherworks Marvel. Literally, that hits more stuff that matters in Standard right now than Revolutionary Rebuff, which is really shocking because I was super excited when we had a pseudo mana leak uh, on the spoiler. Yeah. I'm still, I think a lot of what we're going to see in the Pro Tour, now I'm, this might be bold, but I'm just, I just have this feeling that um, the core of Standard is still like the strategies coming out of Elder, uh, Eldritch Moon and Shadows Over Innistrad. I mean, we basically glossed over Battle for Zendikar. I mean, we talked about that to great lengths. We didn't really like like any of the mechanics, and I don't think we will. Like, we'll see the standalone cards, but I mean, really, are we going to see like allies? Are we going to see like cohort? Like, we're not going to see any of that. We're going to still see that's green white aggro, right? Green white tokens, Sylvan Advocate, uh, Gideon, right? Like that, just the standalone block, good right? stuff. Yeah, but but like the graveyard base, like there's just so many great uh, strategies coming out of that one block that I think. It's going to revolve around a lot of that from Pro Tour. Like you're still going to get the aggro stuff. I I get it, but I'm still thinking we're gonna. It's going to be revolving around uh, Delirium, Emerge, you know, Emrakul, that kind of stuff. Another sleeper card might be Worldbreaker. Actually, seems pretty well positioned. It blocks everything up to Sky Sovereign, kills a vehicle or an Etherworks Marvel when it enters the battlefield. So I'll be curious to see if that can work its way into some sort of ramp or maybe even an Eldrazi-based strategy because I really, I just like what that card does right now. It deals with a lot of important things and blocks yeah, really, really well. Yep. Definitely got a boost. Any final thoughts before we move along? Starting Friday, keep your eyes open all weekend, yeah. the Pro Tour, so watch it. We'll have coverage on the site, so just a reminder to everyone. Yeah, and it's uh, Hawaii time for, for everyone that's uh, in the U.S. Um, or, you know, not in the U.S., so... I, I really hope we see Hawaii at some point, like a beach, right? Show me, <laughs> show me a pina colada or something. Like, yeah. We always go to these exotic places for Pro Tour. And all we see is the inside of some convention hall with like a hedron <laughs> or something. And you might as well just put it downtown Seattle for that. You know, like if you're not going to show the outside, why make pros travel around the world? You know, why ship your equipment across the country, you know, and just not take advantage of it at all? So I really hope they do some spotlight of Hawaii and not that three seconds when BBD walks up someone's driveway into the team house, but, you know, a full on proper. <laughs> Here, look, look at the beaches, you know, look at the stuff in Hawaii to do, right? So I really hope yeah. to do it this time around. Like like a more of like an actual sports venue, right? Like you you're watching it on TV, you get the pan out of like the stadium, you see what's going on around, you get the skyline. I get what you're talking about. Yeah, like, you know, every time there's a game in Seattle, you got to have Nirvana playing and you got to have people yeah. throwing fish around <laughs> with the Starbucks lady. Like, you know, you know that Sunday night football is in Seattle, right? Like yeah. you always know it, right? So Definitely need a sense of place. They need that. Yeah. All right. Uh so this is your topic, Richard. Um <laughs> let's talk about masterpieces. Yeah, so I wanted to get your guys' takes on Masterpieces. <laughs> so this is the second, third week? I don't know how many okay. weeks they've been out. Yeah. Uh, but we knew they were going to do a lot of weird things, right? But now we actually have some data. We've seen people cracking boxes. We see the price of standard cards. We see the price of Magic Online cards. So we know that Masterpieces will mess with all of this. So now that we're here, I wanted to get our takes on it. And so far, I dislike it. 
So, <laughs> so you know, I, I like the cards. The cards look sweet and, you know, good on the cards. But usually, so what happens is, you know, when I play FNM, I usually take store credit when, when you win, right? And the, the conversion rate is $2 of store credit for a pack of cards. But during pre-release and the first couple of weeks of a set, I always take packs because I want to open the packs, you know, see the new cards, you know, feel, feel cool for opening and cracking packs. Uh, but with Kaladesh, it's been absolutely abysmal. You know, we've opened, you know, boosters worth of prize packs between me and my friends, and we leave it all on the table because it's all bulk, right? No cards are worth any value aside from the masterpieces. So when you pull a Mythic Rare, you still feel bad, and I don't like where that's going for Magic. I like cracking packs. Like, cracking packs should be fun, and now it's like a game of attrition, right? You, you know, when you open your 100th pack... You might make up all the value. You know, we know that the EV will be the same over the long run. But most people don't crack cases worth of packs. You know, they, they crack a fat pack. They crack, you know, four prize packs. Maybe even a booster box. But as we've seen with the booster box, the, the variance is still so high that it just leaves such feel-bad feelings. So I want to get your guys' take on that. What do you think of this high-variance world we live in uh, with, the, with the pack prices now that masterpieces will be common? Uh, and be in every set going forward. So we talked a little bit about this off-cast, and I I have a very skewed opinion because I, I told you, you just have to start accepting that you're never going to open anything, and you you just feel better about it, like me. I don't know. I Like I said, it, you know, Seth made the comment before the cast, like the EV, it's all going to you know play out and, and even out in the end. I, I do get the sense of like it feels really bad now like going through that process whereas before at least like you get something but i mean at the end of the day i think it all circles back to like if you're not really invested in like the you know making up the ev and making it back and like the financial aspect like you pay 15 bucks or 12 bucks or whatever it is to draft at your store you, you draft you, you you get a few hours of entertainment out of it you enjoy it you, you maybe get some prize packs and like you move on i, I don't know i don't know that's kind of where i am with it i just kind of like enjoyed the drafting aspect of it rather than like always trying to make up like the value because i mean for me i never really made up the value anyway so i guess the the feel bads on it is like lost on me but maybe i'm just very very a very skewed uh view on it uh i think for me it's and we talked a lot about this last week in regards to treasure chests on magic online uh, i prefer systems where you can uh consistently break even i think for a lot of people the goal is to keep playing magic that's my uh, that's how i am at least I, it's not that I'm worried about necessarily coming out ahead, but I'm hoping to, by a combination of winning some games and opening good cards, be able to do another draft again the next week without putting in a whole bunch of money. That's kind of my goal. And having the value distributed in a way where you make uh, $200 every, I don't know, 20th draft instead of making uh, $5, $10 a draft makes it much harder to keep doing that, I think. So that's my my biggest problem with it. I can rationalize it away because I understand the EV ends up being the same. It makes standard cards cheaper, but none of that really matters when you're the person who who goes to a draft at your local game store 
once a week for an entire month and opens zero dollars in value and just decides like i don't want to do this anymore so i think that's that's the risk the new system is designed to create really big winners and these great like post on twitter moments about this amazing open i had and having big winners is exciting and i get that but it also creates a whole bunch of losers and when you go in to a draft or a event at your local game store and come away feeling like you lost out. I think that people are going to end up deciding to not do that anymore at some point, especially when we're used to the system where you go and pay $15 for your draft and you're probably going to walk away with five, $10 worth of cards. So you can justify in your head, like, yeah, I, I spent $5 for three or four hours of fun. Uh, but in the new system, you're going to feel like you're spending more money every single week when you go to do your draft or when you go to open product uh, because you don't necessarily think at the time, oh, I'm going to hit the masterpiece eventually if I just stick with it. All you're seeing is I'm spending more money every week, and that doesn't feel good. Yeah, I think if you if you take away the pure EV part of it, like because you know, if you're strictly thinking pure EV, it's the same in the long run. So as long as you play enough magic, it will even out. But as a as a player, you know, just a casual person, and you open two booster boxes, would you rather have a trade binder with ten pages full of cards, or would you rather have one top loader with an expedition in it, or with a masterpiece in it? And I, I think you'd rather have people walking around with binders and having a collection and being thrilled at some of the you know, just thrilled at a multitude of cards rather than just having one super expensive one that's worth it. So I, I feel like Wizards is not catering to the market they're trying to cater to, which is the more casual. Uh, it's supposed to be fun to open packs and get cards that are useful. But now, they're basically all bulk, and you need to open that expedition, which you will then just turn around and trade. You can't even keep it because you need that money to buy your cards. So I think it makes this weird dynamic. And I think, I don't know, I, I don't mind it once in a while, but having this be every set, is going to be weird. I think they've catered too far for the, you know, high end collector at this point, and they need to kind of bring it back a little bit for yeah. kind of the regular person that's not up to MTG finance, that's not calculating EV, but they can actually open stuff and trade it for other stuff that you know to complete their deck. I think that's probably the best point to come to come kind of come out of this whole uh, discussion. Is you're right. I, I I do think it's a new dynamic that. You're right. Maybe every once in a while, it's it's something. But every set, I mean, f after a while, this might actually become kind of a big issue, right? But I still kind of, I, I mean, I'm kind of like in the middle here, where you know, where the other argument is like, isn't the the simple fact that magic overall can kind of pay for itself? I mean, where else do you find that in a hobby, right? Like, where else do you get that? sort of EV, whether it's stretched out or, you know, you're getting it incrementally. I mean, where do you, where else do you find that? I mean, isn't that kind of really an entitled, you know, coming from an entitled, you know, magic player perspective where it's like, oh, you know, I can't, you know, I just want to be able to draft everything, you know, every week and all that, where most other hobbies, you get zero, you get like nothing out of it, you know, week after week. I mean, look at all the people who still play Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon or, you know, what have you, or video games even. I mean, you buy a new video game, 60 bucks. I mean, not even a week later, you can't even get 60 bucks out of it anymore. It's like half. You're going to bring it back to GameStop. So I don't know. I, 
I do get the feel bads. I understand, and I and I do agree with that point, Richard. Of it was probably okay, you know, every now and then where we, when we you know we look back to how many podcasts ago we were talking about Battle for Zendikar. Every single set, I, I do concede the fact that this might. You know, it's not going to be. Um, it's going to be a very high variance of feel bads and and not so feel bads. And that did come up actually in your article when you were counter uh, talking about the EV of the set, right, Seth? Yeah, I mean the variance definitely came up in there, and that is uh, one of the important aspects of the change to masterpieces. Uh, I just wanted to mention, as far as uh, the entitled Magic player attitude, I understand what you're saying there, but at the same time. That's part of the reason, uh, not that you're going to make money off Magic, but the fact that spending $15 to draft or $100 on a booster box isn't necessarily really spending $100 because you get some amount of value back is one of the justifications that I have personally used to be like, okay, I'm going to buy a booster box. If I felt like I was just burning $100, I would be much less likely to buy a booster box than when I think, well, I'm probably going to get some amount of that value back. So I'm not really spending a hundred bucks. So right. I think, I, I think that's the the bigger issue for me. It's not that I feel like, Oh, I should be getting paid to play magic. It's more uh, magic is expensive. And part of the reason I can convince myself it's not as expensive. I've used this article, this argument a lot of times when comparing magic online to hearthstone magic online, you can actually sell your cards. Yeah. You're paying five times, 10 times as much to do an event, a sealed event, a draft, but you get real value back. If that changes and you're not getting real value back, that argument kind of diminishes. Like why not play hearthstone then? Right. And that is one of the allures to Magic. I mean, that's kind of why it's so successful and been successful for so long. Now, I mean, EV, you you can discount it, but it's kind of like the whole premise of the argument. I mean, if it's even down the end, but it doesn't feel as good like doing it, I mean, doesn't it just still come back to, well, if you're still playing the game as much, it's going to all even out in the end. Well, no, because it feels bad, you're not going to play as much, right? Because it feels right. bad, you okay. might not buy a booster because you know you're not going to hit the EV unless you buy, you know, six boosters or 12 boosters, Yeah. right? So that, I think, does discourage people. And it's you can just take it anything. Like, variance just feels bad, right? People complain yeah. about mana screw. Well, guess what? That's variance, right? They introduce <laughs> mulligans to let you reduce the variance. You know, you always see Hearthstone players, com- you know, complaining about RNG. That's variance, right? Would you rather, you know, five zero an event than zero five zero five and then five zero five zero, or would you rather three two all of the events, right? right? So like, there's a psychological difference in the variance, and yeah. I don't know where the right breakpoint is, but I feel like this path that Wizards is taking for super high value cards concentrated. Uh, you know, you know, very few set of cards makes the variance really high, and I feel that's bad, right? It's not a, it's not a question of EV. The EV is what it is, and it's always the same, right? The booster box EV always turns out to be the same value. So it's really how much variance are you willing to take, uh, and you know, if it feels bad enough, are people still gonna do it? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like anything, right? And I get where you're coming from. I, I, I like I said, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I can agree and see both sides of it, and. Yeah, to to what you were saying. I mean, right, you go to a draft. I'd rather I'd rather like lose the draft, get my one prize pack, pull an expedition than 5-0 and get nothing, right? And get all these prize packs, right? Like 
there's always that dynamic. So I, I can see where you're both coming from. All right. Um, do we want to move on to fish mail or any any final thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, let's move on to fish mail. Okay. So uh, if you have your questions, uh, tweet at MTG Goldfish, hashtag MTG Fish Mail. And I will make this plea again, but condense your question into 140 <laughs> characters or less. Don't yeah. type an essay and put it into a picture because we need to read and understand the question. So kind of just yeah. narrow down your question to its essence. Uh, but let's, let's go with this week's questions. Uh, first question from at Edowin. How much longer will Harness Lightning be above one ticks? Isn't it too high for an uncommon? So this was Magic Online. Uh, yes, it is definitely too high for an uncommon. If you look at the rest of the standard, there's not a single uncommon worth over a tick outside of the ones that are in Kaladesh. Uh, looking at comparable cards, might have a month to two months, but after that, it's going to be... Very inexpensive. 0.2 of a tick, 0.3 of a tick, probably at the high end. Yeah, and today is when the events kind of start full-blown. So today is Monday, and this is the release day. So up until now, it's pre-release. So the supply should be coming in starting today. Next question from Coach M. Terrell. Uh, I have a pre-release promo of Smuggler's Copter I'm not using in standard seller hold. Uh, I'd, I'd be selling it. Yeah, I agree. All right, Jake Lacey ninety one. How much longer will MTG Goldfish be around? Will I still be here <laughs> listening listening to you three on the podcast in twenty years? Twenty years. Ooh. Um. I don't know. <laughs> so Magic's been what around for fifteen. So? <laughs> so not infeasible. But yeah, as long as Magic is a thing, I'll be here. Yeah, I can't I imagine so. just closing up MTG Goldfish if Magic is still popular and we're all enjoying the game. So this is on Watsy, right? Don't screw up the game, please. Yeah. <laughs> and we all love talking about Magic, so I guess as long as we all love talking about it, being here together, I guess you'll keep listening to us. Breaking news next week, we're switching to Hearthstone, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll be here. Uh, yeah, at... <laughs> not going anywhere. Adri Zian, Adra Zian. Oh, this is terrible. I'm butchering all these names today. <laughs> Speaking about new formats, what do you think about Clash of Standards, an eternal format where you pick any standard? Oh, so there's this weird unofficial tournament series called Magic League that actually has that as one of their tournament options, and it's a neat idea, but I think it ends up not being as fun as you think. I think, like, I think it's like blue white Delver that wins every tournament or something like that. So some standards are just way better than others. So there's, it, you would have to have a lot of rules and restrictions, I think, or you would just end up with a handful of decks that are way better than everything else. Wait, is Delver yeah. really better than Cobblade? Is Delver uh, well, really better than Affinity? Wow. I think that bannings are included. Oh, so I think, uh, like, uh, you would just remove yeah, some that, of these broken standards. That, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, so I think any cards that were banned in the standard format are still banned in, in that format. So that pushes Delver near, up towards the top. Yeah, no artifact lands. Ah, no wonder <laughs> why. <laughs> mean, mean pork. Your biggest MTG pet peeves. Ooh. Ooh, this is... You know what's really interesting is that when I first... I guess maybe not when I first started, but, like, earlier on when I started playing Magic, I really hated, like, the card flicking, like, the nervous, 
audible shuffling of your hand. And now, like, I find myself doing it. So <laughs> it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I think if you're, like, too, I guess, like, too overt about it, like, it'll bother me. But I, I've, I've come to, like, accept it. Another interesting one was, like, I really didn't like pile shuffling like that. I'm so glad they got rid of it. They didn't get rid of it. They just limited well, you yeah. to one. <laughs> limited you. Limited you. But, yeah, the the over the overly aggressive pile of shuffling. Let me fetch uh, a let me fetch a planes and then pile of shuffle my deck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's got to be associated with Magic Online because that's where I play by far the most, and it drives me absolutely insane when you have these people. You'll be playing a nice match of Magic, and they will feel like they're in a dominant position, and they will give you the good game, even though there's like two or three turns left in the game before. They can actually kill you, and for some reason, that just drives me absolutely insane. So the early GG, uh, <laughs> when the game's not actually over, is definitely my pet peeve when it comes to Magic. You, you just opened up a door for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Go ahead, yeah. Richard. So I think my pet peeve is sick people playing Magic. If you're sick, just don't come to FNM. <laughs> like, it, it's awkward because, you know, if you're like, some people are very clearly sick, right? So they're like, okay, I'm not going to shake your hand. And I'm like, okay, cool, right? But they're still coughing all over the place, all over your cards. <laughs> and you're still, you know, they have to cut your deck and stuff like that. Super awkward. But it's the mildly sick people. You know, you, you might shake their hand. You don't know they're sick. And then they start, you know, like coughing and wheezing <laughs> in the middle of the match. And it's all over your cards. And you're like, oh, dear, what do I do? Right? You're not going to call a judge. Like, what are you going to do, right? You just got to suck it up and hope your immune system can battle back, right? <laughs> so I don't like sick people at FNM, man. <laughs> it's just – just if you're sick, just stay home. Don't, 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 bring, don't bring it to everyone. Play some Magic Online. Perfect, right? Yeah. Uh, next question from That Beard, though. Uh, this is not Seth. Can slash will you add a search tool to the deck editor instead of just putting the list in? I don't know what that means. So if you could uh, <laughs> clarify by sending me an email, um, is that is that like trying to find similar decks based on another deck? Uh, because how can you search by putting a list in? So please, that beard though, send me an email to clarify. Feature requests are always welcome. Uh, next question. Uh, this is from a conversation I had on Twitter, which was turned into a. A fish mail. When I listen to the podcast, I always picture Richard constantly moving his hands when he talks. Can you confirm if true? So, I'm observing myself right now, and I was observing myself throughout the entire cast because of this question. And the answer is no. I don't constantly move my hands. I, I actually asked Steve, like, why, why do you feel uh, that I move my hands when I talk? And he says, I don't know. It's just a feeling. Because I was thinking, it was like, oh, is the audio cutting in and out or something? Do you hear stuff rattling? Like... Uh, if, if you're looking for the culprit, it's me. Uh, I definitely move my hands around when I talk. Definitely do. Seth, do you, do you move your hands when you talk? Uh, sometimes. It depends on my mood. I For some reason, I do a lot when I'm... Recording instant deck techs, I get very animated, but other times I just kind of kick back and uh and don't move a whole lot. So I've seen Seth record videos, and we should just get a, a webcam. He like puts on the whole show. <laughs> he suddenly turns like very professional, and then his hands start gesturing, and I'm like, no one can see you, but just just gets you in the mood, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's just <laughs> that's just how I do it, I guess. 
Uh, next question from Joe P. Crowley. Do you think White's dominance of sideboards in modern is causing the problem with modern's diversity? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. The white white does have the best sideboard cards in modern, okay. but it's pretty easy to splash in modern. So if you need your Stony Silence or your Rest in Peace, uh, I don't think it really reduces diversity because it's fairly easy to splash. And for a lot of those things, other colors do have decent options. Like, yeah, Stony Silence is might be the best hate card for Affinity, but red gives you Shatterstorm and Shattering Spree. Uh, blue gives you Hercules Recall. So unless you're in a very specific color, you can find something that's not that much worse. And for a lot of those hate cards that you get in white, you have colorless options as well. Graph Digger's Cage, maybe not quite as good as Rest in Peace, but it can get the job done and any deck can play it. So I think... The challenge isn't white having great sideboard cards. It's just finding room to play enough sideboard cards to hate on every powerful deck in the format. So it's it's more the number of sideboard cards, in my opinion, than white having good sideboard cards that's challenging in modern. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, well said. I don't even think white has the best sideboard cards. Like Seth oh. said, a lot of the cards are serviceable. You have Relic of Progenitus, you have Graph Digger's Cage to, deal, you know, to do the rest in peace thing. So, you know, mostly other colors have sufficient cards i've never felt myself you know pining to for white just for sideboard cards it's just a slight bonus but i've never felt it be strong enough to you to actually pull yourself into white and you can just look at the metagame breakdown like how many white decks are there right it's not they don't have oppressive cards and i think actually the most uh pulling card in modern is blood moon there there is a very real reason to play red so that you get access to blood moon uh, right, and, and yeah. there's a real reason to tweak your mana base because it actually is lights out against a large percentage of the field, and there's nothing you can really do to replicate Blood Moon. There's no colorless Blood Moon. There's no uh, off-color Blood Moon. I guess you could play Boil or Choke, but <laughs> Blood Moon is Blood Moon. <laughs> so I actually think Red is has a strong argument for good cards. I think Blood Moon is slightly fair, though, because it's such a big deck-building restriction. Like, it's not like... Most decks can just be like, hey, I'm going to splash a couple of Shocklands and play a, a Blood Moon yeah. because then you ruin your own mana base. So it's it does require a lot when it comes to deck building, which keeps it from being too problematic, in my opinion. I go with the Saffron Olive sideboard of four ensnaring bridges and four Blood Moons. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Maybe some, some Ley Lines of Sanctity. Hope you have one yeah. in your opening hand. <laughs> Next question from at the guy Doug. Do you guys do any finance on collectible magic? For example, older sealed product as opposed to high use, high demand cards? Uh, no, I don't. I don't hoard box, you know, old sealed boxes or anything like that. Uh,. I don't necessarily do that, but if you look back through my old articles, I have done some research on older finance stuff, including actually sealed boxes and how much they gain over the course of time. So if you look back through my article archives, you might find something that's interesting to you, but I don't have old sealed product cluttering on my closet or anything like that. Next question from Josh Sisk. Any chance MTG Goldfish can go ads-free on the site for paid members? I don't mind paying, but no ads would be nice. So that's something we get asked quite a lot, and it's something we're considering. But there's a lot of things that need to be worked out to make that happen. So may or may not happen, but uh, if you had feedback, uh, send, send us the feedback, because we, we take that all into consideration. 
Next question. Smash Garrett? Smash Garrett? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Meta-related question. What do you think the effect of a functional reprint of Mana Leak would be on Modern? How about Remand? So I actually asked the requester about this, and they mean Mana Leaks 5 to 8 or Remands 5 to 8. Uh, well, I don't hmm. think Mana Leak would have any impact. Right now, there's not that many decks that even play 4, and you have uh, Rune Snag, which isn't that far off, and there's not any decks that are playing 4 Mana Leaks and 4 Rune Snags. Remand is a more interesting question. I could imagine decks at least some wanting to play more than four remands. Uh, I've played decks that have four remands in a couple unsubstantiates, not exactly the same. So remand, I'm not sure about, but mana leak, I think I would say no impact really. Yeah. I'm leaning towards that too. I, I just can't see a, a mana leak having a huge impact, but remand might. Yeah. Like Seth said, I don't even know of a single deck that plays four mana leaks, uh, but <laughs> I could imagine, yeah. like, Scape Shift or other combo decks, uh, or even control decks, trying to go in on Remand's 5 to 8. Uh, probably oh. not the full 8, that seems <laughs> like too much, but maybe <laughs> maybe 5 and 6. You know the mana leaks they play? Maybe cut those for the Remand. They're sort yeah, of that... pseudo-doing that already. I mean, not that, like, it's a one-for-one, one, but, I mean, they do run Snapcaster, so I would expect maybe... Th- yeah, that's why I'm leaning towards Remand. That would be sort of miserable like i love remanding people but getting your stuff remanded is pretty annoying especially (laughs) if you understand how good it actually is like i think when i first started playing magic i didn't really get how powerful remand was like oh yeah i get to cast my spell again whatever but when you realize that they're like gaining so much tempo and stuff i think it would be really miserable to have four remands four of this new counter spell and four snapcasters you would just like constantly never play anything while your opponent's just cycling through their deck you know what's really funny it's that you bring that up i was i was younger when ravnica and all that stuff came out and you know how I really started to respect Remand? Uh, because like I was in the exact same mindset with you. I was like, oh, they, they, well, they don't really counter it. And, you know, sure, they draw a card, but I get to play my spell again. It wasn't until you started uh, losing to Ebony Allen at Suke and Sudden Impact that I was like, wow, this <laughs> really sucks. <laughs> yep, Bo- boomerang your land. I have nowhere your land. Remand your spell, boomerang your land. <laughs> oh, and you take seven damage every, you know, at, at four damage, like, from my Ebony Allen's. I'm like, wow, Remand is awesome. <laughs> so that's how I started uh, really appreciating Remand. All right. Next question from JDHD. I signed up for Moto a month ago. Is it always this mental treasure chests, play points, <laughs> redemption cut, etc.? Wizard seems clueless. I don't know, you guys. Is it is it always this mental? This this is uh, the Moto crew. No, well, not me, but you two. If you <laughs> if you want an answer to this question. Uh, I wrote an entire article, maybe the article I've spent the most time researching, and it's called The Complete History of Magic Online. So just take a minute and browse over that, and you will get a very good sense of uh, of an answer to your question. But uh, TLDR, yes, this is about uh, par for the course, I would say. All right, Kyle G, longtime listener. Having seen my collection value on Magic Online Tank since the announcement of Treasure Chess, uh, it has me looking into selling my rather large moto collection. Uh, any help in this area? How do I decide to downsize or cash out, and what's the best way to do so? Moto is pretty easy. Uh, 
there's a few big bots that'll buy collections, but Card Hoarder actually has a really good tool that you can import your entire collection, uh, a file with your entire collection, and they will give you an estimate of what they would pay you for it. If you decide to do that, they I think they can just wire you the money or PayPal you. There's several options for payment. Uh, so I would get an estimate and go with that. Then actually selling it is super easy. You have to... Uh, you do have to give your uh, the the buyer your password, and it's just all automated. They will automatically take the cards out of it, so it's it's actually fa- uh, fairly easy to do. So I would check with Card Hoarder and also get estimates from like MTGO Traders, uh, Card Nexus, some of the other big bots, and uh, go from there. All right, next question, Ralph C. I went one on one with my opponent in a draft. We had a forty minute game, game one, which I won. It was very frustrating for my opponent and they began to rush me uh, we couldn't finish game three he was rude and snippy he asked me to concede the match so that one of us could still win packs i told him we could flip for it and he refused and stormed off was i wrong isn't a 50 percent chance of still winning better than none is flipping for it against the rules i don't think you were wrong to do it um sounded like just whatever you were throwing out there this opponent wasn't having it i i think it was I think it was in the wrong for your opponent to try and start, like, I, I get you want to try to, um, you know, finish up, but, I mean, it, it happens. I mean, games go long. Uh, you kind of just have to play, you know, not slow play, but play as timely as you can. Um, but you, you offered it, and I don't think you're in the wrong for doing so. Well, you're you're not wrong for not conceding, right? You, you, you're right. under no obligation uh, there was a time constraint, uh, you know, as long as you guys are not slow playing. And if you think you're slow playing, then uh, someone's slow playing, call a judge. But, you know, not conceding, it's a, a judgment call. Some players will, if they think they're going to lose, they'll concede because, you know, had this game naturally finished, uh, the other person would have won. Other people will say, you know, well, no, I was playing for a draw, so why would I concede now? Because I knew time was going to be an issue, so I'm playing for a draw or... You know, you played such a slow deck that you couldn't finish the game. Why would I be punished? So I'm not going to concede. So there's arguments to that. But mm-hmm. you definitely can't flip a coin. It's in the official magic rules that you can't use a randomized result or anything other than playing a game to determine the match outcome. And if they find that out, they'll just both kick you out. So you can't, like, do rock, paper, scissors. You can't flip a coin. You can't do those things to determine a match. So you, you, know, you either can just concede or draw. In that case. So normally you can't flip coins or any of that. Unless you're you know, playing at home and you're super casual. Which sounds like not because you actually had a time limit. Yeah, if if you're going to play tournaments. Even at the FNM level. And definitely above the FNM level. Do some reading about what you can and can't do. Because there's a lot of story. Uh, what you can and can't do to end games. And concessions. And asking for concessions. Because there's definitely stories of pro level players getting DQ'd over issues like this. So it's very confusing. And if you're going to play tournament wise, it's worth taking a minute to just read up on the technicalities of it, because it's fairly easy to accidentally get yourself DQ'd asking for a concession or trying to find a way to end a match like this. Yeah. And that, that, uh, that has changed a lot over at least the last few years on what you can and can't do. I mean, Going back to what I was saying, I don't I don't think it was wrong for you to try to be friendly about it and like try to at least, you know, end it on you know, so everyone is happy. But yeah, I mean, like Richard and Seth said, you can't 
just can't you know flip a coin. I mean, you have to either draw or both you know agree on on how to move forward. All right, last question uh, came as a long email, but we've condensed it and taken out some names to protect its entities. But the TLDR yep. is: I have a friend with a learning disability. Uh, they they play modern and uh, they're looking to get into legacy. Should we recommend? Something complex like Miracles or Storm or something simpler like Omni Show or or, Morf- or Merfolk? My take on it is it's hard. You know your friend. Your friend knows uh, themselves. And it's hard to answer this without knowing uh, more about the situation. But my overall feeling is we each have our strengths and weaknesses when it comes to playing Magic uh, decks are in our wheelhouse. Some decks are outside of our wheelhouse. And I think that overall, the best thing you can do is to play a deck that you enjoy and is kind of in your wheelhouse and practice that deck like crazy, regardless of your other situations. And I think that, uh, that will help you find success. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer necessarily as far as the deck choice, but I do think that practicing it a ton and enjoying it is most important for having success, no matter what deck you choose. Yeah, I think they should just play what they want to play. Uh, I don't yep. think their learning disability really factors into this. You know, Some of us are naturally better at certain things than others. That doesn't mean we can't do it. Uh, you know, I'm not an Olympic skier. Doesn't mean I can't ski. You know, does it? You know, I'm naturally better at let's say let's say I'm naturally better at burn than Jund. But I like Jund, so I play Jund. And the meta game is terrible for Jund, but I'll play Jund anyways because I like it. And you know, you you probably could analyze me and figure out that oh, uh, you know, you're more analytical. You suck at combat math. Uh, you should probably play control. <laughs> or, you know, you can, you can break this down anyway. And it's no different if I have a learning disability as opposed to strengths and weaknesses. So I think the answer should be uh, your friend plays magic, right? So it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. What you should really be doing is what every player should be doing when they get into Legacy, which is proxy up all the decks in the format, play both sides of most of the major matches, and whatever he enjoys more, let, let him choose and play, right? And you've kind of done your job by pointing him to the metagame and you know being his practice partner or whatever. And I think at the end of the day, you just play Magic to enjoy it. So whatever he likes playing, then uh, that's for him to decide. And you can help that by just proxying the decks and practicing it before actually fully investing in a deck. Right. Uh, that's kind of where I was going with that, Richard. And same same conclusion, just coming at it a different way. Like I said, I mean, I I teach. I deal with you know a wide spectrum of students. Uh, I you know and, and different needs all the time and. I definitely came to the conclusion, like, regardless, you know, you take everything out of the equation, just let, you know, you play what you feel comfortable playing, right? Uh, I think that's a great strategy, Richard, right? You proxy up all the decks, you know, whatever whatever suits you, suits you. I mean, it's a case-by-case basis, really, um, and everyone's different. Um, I wouldn't care if Affinity was the worst deck in Modern. Like, if I like playing Affinity, I like playing Affinity, and I would suggest that to everyone else. I mean... Like I said, taking everything out of the equation. So uh, I definitely two great answers uh, there. All right. That concludes all of our fish mail for this week. Awesome. Great questions. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just for everyone's sake, um, and like Richard said earlier, if you can condense these, I mean, we get a lot of them. We try to answer every single question, every single cast. Um, so I understand you want to 
give some premise to some of these, but it'd be really easier just to get the core of the question so we can get to everyone. But uh, thank you. These are all really great every single week. I, it's awesome uh, hearing these questions and answering them. All right, gentlemen, is uh, that it? Uh, I think uh, we covered everything we wanted to cover. So um, final things out the door? Pro Tour next week yeah. will be breaking down hopefully a ton of sweet new decks. So I'm really excited for the Pro Tour. And I'm Me too. even more excited that I am not going to be watching it from like <laughs> 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So, so uh, it's going to be a good weekend. So if you get time, check it out because coverage has improved. Uh, LSV is doing full coverage, not even playing. So coverage is going to be awesome. The Dex and Kaladesh is really sweet. The format is still up in the air, so I'm really excited for the tournament. More so than I've been for the last two or three Pro Tours, because it really feels more wide open. Uh, Post-rotation Pro Tours are the best, and we didn't get one, uh, and we haven't had one for a while, so I'm just super excited about that. So, out the door, what card or cards do you guys want to see show up? It could be your pet jank card, could be... I don't know any any card, but what card do you, would you like to see show up at the Pro Tour next week? Uh, Metallurgic Summonings. <laughs> I would like to see uh, Nissa or, or just any green cards. I'm just good with that. <laughs> but uh, no, I maybe it's pet. It's it's more of Seth's pet card, but I not that it's like out of the question. But I, I would like to see a lot of Elder Deep Fiends. I think we're going to see them. So I'm not going to be surprised to see them, rather. I want to see the Planeswalker deck Planeswalkers. Even though this will mean Seth is right, and we'll have to hear forever. But wouldn't oh. that be hilarious if the two best Planeswalkers oh, yeah. in the set are from the Planeswalker pack? I I just cannot see that happening. I can't. Nissa, Nissa, it's going to happen. I don't even know the rest I, of her name, but Nissa. There's, there's no way. There's no way. If... if Planeswalkers like Dovin Bond and Nyssa and Chandra are like all struggling to like make it. Like, there's no way. Here's the key: if Dovin Bond is on the field with a Smuggler's Copter opposite to him, his plus one literally does nothing. Nyssa's gains <laughs> you three life. Yeah, it, it it counteracts a Smuggler attack. You're like at parity. Your Nyssa keeps you at parity with the best card in Standard. <laughs> what other what other Planeswalker in Standard can say that? <laughs> Oh my! Uh, that, Wait, that would it, be a this would be a the, pro tutor ever if <laughs> if a bad. But, but how much loyalty do you get to plus three? Oh, two or one, or is it three? I don't even know. I know I it has a ton of loyalty. I don't remember if it's two or three though. Start with six, right? Uh, I, right. I think it. I think it plus. I think it's plus two. Because I think it goes up to eight no, it, immediately. It starts at five, and it's a plus three. So yeah, it's just straight up counters Smuggler's oh. Copter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man. Ah, <laughs> uh, gonna happen. No, I don't know. I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it is green though. Damn it. <laughs> that and, oh, and got me on this one. And the lands come into play untapped. Ah. Uh. The negative negative four, <laughs> you get the lands untapped combo. So <laughs> just so, you wait and see. Like Team Channel Fireball couldn't get their cards, so they just got two Planeswalker <laughs> decks and shuffled them together and went to the Pro Tour. Is that you're, what's happening? You know, you know, I I actually had some really like I was getting legitimately nervous because there is a path to this because like I was looking at the Nissa Matters cards 
And the one that fetches you a land, and then you get to actually look for Nissa. Like that's actually pretty good. <laughs> that's uh, actually a pretty good card. I was like, <laughs> wait, you get a land, and you get to search for Nissa. It's like a tutor. Wait, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> uh, I don't think I could live it down. There's no way. Uh, All right, I think that's a good way to end it. <laughs> we will see. Uh, so uh, we'll do this next week, uh, gentlemen. Great cast. Uh, this is going to be the crew signing out. Hopefully we have a great pro tour.